Friends, I wonder if you recognize the weightiness of the words we have just sung. Many people would be more comfortable simply to say, trust. And just keep it there. Yes, we'll trust the Lord. But the words we have just sung says, trust and obey. For there is no other way. Many of us would like to keep it just the first half. And we would be happy with God if we could just do the first half. But as this word, as the words of the song say, no, there is no other way but to trust and obey. I am reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in his book called The Cost of Discipleship said, only he who believes obeys. And only he who obeys believes. You can't separate these two. Trust. It's the element needed in every human relationship. It's hard to do anything without trusting in something or someone. We all trust in something or someone. Even atheists live a life of faith. They trust in their abilities to uh, determine and to disprove the existence of God. Even those who live by intentionally ignoring God live by trusting in something. They trust in whatever makes sense to them or in whatever brings them pleasure or whatever satisfies them or whatever offers them security and peace. We all trust in something or in someone. The question is, on what do we rest our trust in. Or, as someone put it, on whom are you depending? Do we live life as if God did not exist? Well, looking around this crowd this morning, I doubt there are many who might be in this category, although there might be some this morning who are visiting. Or if we accept that God exists, do we live as if other things are more important than God? And therefore, we rely on those things for our happiness, for our significance. For some, the God they rely on is sports. For others, it is money. For others, it is relationships. For others, it is influence. For others, it is having the right connections. For others, it is reputation. Whatever you rely on for significance, for happiness, for faith, safety, that is the God you trust in. If we accept in our heads that God is worthy of our trust, do our lives show it? Today, psychologists make a distinction between what they call cognitive trust and affective trust. Cognitive trust is, is trusting with your head based on what you know. Affective trust is trusting with your heart based on what you feel or what you experience. Some people develop trust based on what they know about someone. Others develop trust based on what they experience about someone. Well, friends, 
I'm not sure if those two distinctions of trust is, is really accurate or not. That's just what psychologists say today. But I thought about that distinction. And I thought how accurate that distinction may also be when it comes to the people of faith. Is it possible that while many people say in their heads that they trust God, that trust is just a head knowledge? But that trust is lacking in the heart. They don't really have a relationship with God to say that they trust Him experientially. They don't spend time with God in His Word. They don't spend time with Him in prayer. Friends, what you do, what you do speaks more clearly than what you say about where your trust is. And this morning... I'd like for us to look at a story, at a narrative that exposes one's trust. It's a narrative of the story of King Hezekiah. Would you open God's Word this morning to the book of Isaiah? We'll be reading two chapters, chapter 36 and 37. You may find this passage on page number 596. As you're turning your Bibles there, I want to remind you that as a congregation, we are working our way through the book of Isaiah, and uh, we are in the third section of this book um, and we are approaching the end of this section and this story is a significant story in the book let's hear what God has to say to us through the story and the narrative of the historical events that happened during the reign of King Hezekiah God's word for us this morning is the following In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are a strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who, lends on, or who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord, our God. Is it, not the, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants, when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. Moreover, is it without the Lord 
that I have come upon up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please, speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me. And come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Be aware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Serbaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent. And answered him not, not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid. Because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. 
the Rafshakeh, returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirakah, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who are in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath? the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivah. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God. You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me, Concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the living Lord, and you have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest height, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old. What now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field, and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down, and you're going out, and coming in, and you're raging against me, because you have raged against me. And your complacency has come to my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. 
and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs from that? Then in the third year, sow and reap, and plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward, and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come again into the city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramalek and Sharezer, his sons, struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esharhadon, his son, reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray? Father, we have heard of your faithfulness to your people through this passage that we have just read. Father, would you now speak to the hearts of your people and grow in us our ability to trust in you. We pray this for the sake of the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, we are in the end of the third section of the book of Isaiah, a section that started in chapter 28 to chapter uh, 39. We have seen so far in this section six major messages of warnings and some messages of promise that God has given to his people. In chapter 35, we saw a magnificent picture of the promise God made that he will restore his people back to himself. God's desire from the very beginning has been to restore the people he created, the people who have, whom rebelled against him. God's desire has been to make a way to bring those people back to, to himself and to make a way for a remnant, not all of them, for a remnant to be preserved and restored back to God. Chapter 34 earlier tells us that not everyone will be a part of that restoration. The people who continue to remain hostile to God, those who continue to live life apart from God, they are liable to the eternal vengeance of God. A vengeance that is described through a fire that shall never be quenched day and night, and whose smoke shall go up forever and ever. These messages of warning and promise are given so that we might consider today our attitude towards God. The attitude that the Bible calls for us to have is not merely an acceptance that God exists, 
the people of Judah and Israel did not struggle to believe that God exists. Faith, for them, was at least that part. They accepted that God existed. But friends, faith is not merely acceptance that God exists. Faith means reliance and trust in the Lord. And we will see what this trust looks like in the story of King Hezekiah. Now, a few pointers about this story before we get into it. This episode, this story is so important in the history of Israel that it is described in detail three times in the Old Testament. We see it in here, in the book of Isaiah. We also see it in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. And we also see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. In the book of Isaiah, this story and the next two chapters are the last narrative in the book of Isaiah. For the rest of this book, we are done with narratives. The rest of this book will be messages. This is the last story in the book of Isaiah. In order to appreciate this story here, we must understand it in contrast with another story earlier in the book of Isaiah. The story of King Ahaz in Isaiah 7. Now why should we try to understand these chapters, this story, with what went on in Isaiah 7 with King Ahaz? Well, notice verse 2. When the envoys from the king of Assyria came to Jerusalem, notice where, do, where they go. Verse 2 says, And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Now, why would Isaiah care to tell us where exactly, where precisely the Assyrian army came to stand outside the walls of Jerusalem? Why would that be important? Well, turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. We go back to the story of Ahaz. In verse 3, here's what we read. Isaiah 7, 3, page 7, uh, 572. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. The same place where Isaiah met King Ahaz 30 plus years earlier, that same place, now, in that same place, the Assyrian army has come to stand. Earlier, 30 years earlier, Ahaz did not want to rely on the Lord to get Judah out of trouble. At that very place, 30 years later, Ahaz was given a chance to choose the way of faith, of relying on God's word and God's promise as spoken through Isaiah. But Ahaz chose not to take the way of faith and chose instead to rely on his own plans. Ironically, 30 years earlier, Ahaz relied on making an alliance with a king of Assyria. Now, three, days, three decades later, the son of Ahaz, Hezekiah, reaps the fruit of a father who has refused the way 
of faith. Ahaz was a man who was outwardly religious, but inwardly faithless and rebellious. And now King Hezekiah is faced with the same choice. Will he continue the same way as his father did, the way of trusting his own plans? Or will he take the path of faith and put his entire trust in the Lord and rely on him entirely? Friends, we must understand the story of Hezekiah as a contrast with the story of Ahaz. And this morning, as we look at this narrative, and as the question is a question of trust, and as we look at the question of trust, whom will you trust in? There's four points I'd like for us to look at as we look at this story. Number one, examine where your trust rests. Examine where your trust rests. The second point, the enemy does not want you to trust in God. The enemy does not want you to trust in God. The third point, steps of trusting in God. And finally, the reasons to trust in God. Let's look at each each of these points and, and see how this story develops. The first point is examine where your trust rests. The ultimate issue in the story is captured by the words King Sennacherib sent Hezekiah through his servant. Look at verse 4. And Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Friends, the ultimate issue in this story is the issue of trust. On what do you rest this trust of yours? Throughout the story, we see this word of trust repeated over and over again. It's the ultimate issue. The biggest threat in this story is not the Assyrian army. The ultimate challenge is the choice of faith. And the path of faith stands before us as a choice of trust and reliance. Friends, faith is not a matter of simply acknowledging that God exists. Even the demons believe that. Faith in the Bible is better interpreted as a trust or reliance. Saving faith is a trust that relies entirely upon God. So the question for us this morning is, on whom do you trust? Rav Shakeh, the official uh, of Assyria, asked this question with a very ill motivation. His motivation was to lead Hezekiah to surrender to the Assyrian army. But Rabshakeh's message has some truth that makes his message similar to what Isaiah has been preaching before. For instance, Rabshakeh reveals the worthlessness of relying on Egypt. Isaiah has been saying that for decades. Rabshakeh also challenged Judah that God will not listen to them because Hezekiah has removed the altars. Well, Rabshakeh wants to weaken people's hearts about Hezekiah's spiritual leadership and to lead them to distrust the spiritual reforms that Hezekiah pursued earlier. Rabshakeh also challenged Hezekiah by offering him 2,000 horses. Now, Judah has always relied on horses and put confidence in horses. But now, Rabshakeh offers these horses in mockery, for he does not think that Judah has 2,000 horsemen to ride these horses, even if Assyria would give them the horses. 
Finally, Rav Shakeh challenges Judah by saying that God sent him to destroy the land. Now, it is true that God chose Assyria to be the rod of God's discipline against Israel and against Judah. That is very true. And it is true that God told Assyria to come against the land of Judah as well, not just against the land of Israel. If you remember in chapter 8, Isaiah warned God's people that God will bring Assyria and it will be like a river that goes over its banks and it will flood the land and it will sweep even into Judah and reach even up to the neck. I mean, just picture that image. Isaiah gave that picture to Judah in chapter 8. But the people of Judah did not believe Isaiah's message. The people of Judah rather mocked Isaiah. So Isaiah warned them that since they have ignored his message, God will speak to them by a people with a foreign tongue. Isaiah 28, 11, For by a people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. Well, friends, here it is. God is now speaking to his people through their enemies, exposing their rebellion and false trust. Yet Rav Kashe's message was not only um, including some true elements of what Isaiah has preached before. Uh, Rav Shakeh's message uh, contained a few things that were true, but it also included a number of significant twists to it. Rav Shakeh twisted God's word in such a way that he would lead God's people to distrust God even further. And friends, this is the deception that Satan uses in all his attacks. He takes part of the word of God and twists it. Satan's strategy is to take what God says, distort it with one ultimate aim, to make God's people not trust in God and not rely on the Lord. Friends, anything that comes your way that leads you to put your trust in something other than God is from the devil. No matter how good it sounds, and no matter how much scripture is being quoted. Remember that the devil tempted Jesus and used scripture to tempt him. The same point is here. The devil can use even the word of God and use it in a way that would distort its meaning and its application for the people of God. The issue of examining our trust is so important to the book of Isaiah that one commentator says that these chapters are the pivot on which the whole book turns. So friends, examine where your trust rests. Some people trust in religion, yet they do not trust in God. Some people trust in a distorted view of God, a God who will look over their rebellion. Some people trust in their own good works and in their own spiritual performance as a means of being made right with God. Some people trust in their own reason as the ultimate arbiter of reality. Friend, examine where your trust rests. The second point we see in this passage, in this story, is that the enemy does not want you to trust God. The leaders of Judah ask Rav to speak in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, because Aramaic was the language of politics. But Rav refuses that. He wants to speak in the language of the people because he wants the people to mistrust God. So in verses 13 to 20, 
we see the second speech that Rav Shaket speaks against Jerusalem. And in this second speech, we see even more clearly the issue of this story. It pressures God's people to distrust God. Notice how he does it. Notice the strategy that Rav Shaket uses to lead God's people to distrust God. First of all, don't let the leader make you trust in the Lord. Look at verse 15. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. Friends, one of the greatest strategies, one of the greatest responsibilities for spiritual leaders is to encourage God's people to trust the Lord. And one of the strategies the devil uses is to seed to sow seeds of distrust between people and the leaders who lead them to trust in the Lord. If they can create a wedge between people and the leaders who call God's people to trust in the Lord, the battle is almost won. Consider carefully, friends, that even today, the devil wants to sow seeds of distrust so that people would not follow those who lead God's people to trust the Lord. The second strategy the, that's being used in this passage is the offer to make peace with the enemy in order to be satisfied. The offer to make peace with the enemy in order to be satisfied. Look at what the Assyrian king offers them. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. And notice what he promises them. Then, each one of you will eat of his own vine. And each one of you of his own fig tree. And each one of you will drink the water of his own cisterns. All of these are sensory experiences, aren't they? They are promises to own property, to eat and drink. Friends, a promise even includes in a land like their land. But the assumption here is deportation. Do you see how this deportation is sugar-coated in such a pleasant experiential promise? In such a sensory image? Yes, they will have a land with grain and wine and bread and vineyards. But it's not the land that God promised them. They will be taken out of the land that God promised them. Friends, this is a trick that Satan uses even today. I will give you what you need. And I will give it to you in abundance. And you will have your own satisfaction. But all these promises are in the land that Satan wants you to take to. A land of slavery. A land of deportation. All these promises are not in God's land, not based on trusting in the Lord. Remember the people of Israel who came out of Egypt. They sinned against God because they preferred the food of Egypt. And they would rather go back to the land of slavery. Why? Because they could eat there. And they could drink there and have what they senses needed. And they were willing to do it even if it meant to go back to the land of slavery. Oh, friends, today there are people who buy into these promises even if it means that it will enslave them. People prefer today to satisfy their desires rather than trusting God and take the path of faith. 
Our spiritual enemy wants to make peace with us, and he promises to give us what our senses desire. Friends, the devil often appeals to our physical senses to tempt us not to trust in God and take the enemy's path instead. The third strategy that is used in this passage to dissuade us from trusting in God is don't let God deceive you. When Hezekiah hears the news, he turns to the Lord and he sends messages to Isaiah to pray to God. And, and God answers and he says, don't be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled against you. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And as the story unfolds, the events start to follow what the Lord has said. Rabshakeh returned to his king and found the king already withdrawn from Lachish. But Rabshakeh sends another message. And this is the third strategy that Rabshakeh uses to dissuade God's people to trust in God. And the message is in verse 10. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. By promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do you hear the clarity of this amazing attack against God himself? This attack is against God, against his character. Up to this point, Rabshakeh accused Hezekiah of deceiving his people. But now Rabshakeh shows his true cards. He accuses God of being a deceiver. How satanic is this attack to tell God's people, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Friends, the devil's strategy is always to oppose the word of God, either by distorting its meaning or by attacking the character of God. Friends, Satan often sows seeds of such doubts against God's own character and against God's intentions. Today, Satan's strategy is to suggest that God is withholding some good experiences from you. That somehow God is going to shortchange you. That somehow God is going to deceive you by his promises. Oh, friends, Satan's strategy has not changed much since the days of Hezekiah. He will always try to paint God as a deceiver while he himself is in reality the father of lies. There are many ways in which the enemy tries to stop us to trust in the Lord. But three of the strategies we see in the story are to distrust the leaders who point us to God, to make peace with the enemy by being lured by our senses, and accusing God that he is shortchanging us and deceiving us. Friends, we will look next week, by God's grace, at the next two points of this struggle for asking and examining our trust in the Lord. But today we have looked at just this first half of the story of, of a challenge to examine where our trust lies and to recognize that the enemy is committed. The enemy is committed to tempt us, to pressure us, to lure us to distrust God. As I pray that as we, we look at the second half of the story next week, by God's grace, that we will learn to be a people who see the mechanisms of Satan, of how ferocious he is, not only to attack God's people, but how to attack God's character himself. His strategies 
are very subtle because he appeals to our senses. He appeals to what our bodies need. He appeals to what our flesh desires. Friends, let's learn as a people to listen carefully and examine ourselves in light of God's truth. We will see next week, Lord willing, that God gives us reasons to trust in him. And we'll see next week, Lord willing, that God gives us the steps and we'll see steps of what it means to trust in the Lord. Let's close our time this morning asking God to give us wisdom and discernment to discern the mechanisms of the evil one to dissuade us from trusting the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, Lord in heaven, you are a God who indeed is a true God. There's no other God besides you. None of the gods of the other nations, indeed, none of them have been able to defend and protect and restore their people. But you are a God who is committed to restore your people and to keep a remnant and to defend your people against the attacks of the enemy. Father, help us to see the deceptive ways in which we are lured day in, day out to trust in something other than you. Father, for some of us, this means, or this has meant that we would we trust something other than you for our eternity. Father, open the eyes of those who are still in that mistrust for their eternal lives. For other, others of us this morning, we may still fall in mistrusting you in the day-to-day experiences. Father, open our eyes to see the deceptive ways, the deceptive lies. And help us, O oh Lord, to be quiet against these attacks not to respond in any way that, that could be in our own flesh, but to, to turn to you and wait for you to defend us, to protect us. And Father, we pray for those who have been snatched, who, who have been taken away by the deceptive lures of Satan. Father, we pray that you would snatch them out of their bondage. We pray that you would open their eyes to see the deceptive ways they have taken. Oh, Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you work redemptively in their lives so that they may see the lies of, of, of the path they have taken and turn to you, the God of the living truth? We pray that your glory and your power would be manifested in our midst as you teach us to trust in you. We pray that we would do so in the name of Christ. For his glory and honor, we pray.